Hello, everyone. Weston Akamura from Blockworks Macro in Tokyo. It is Friday, March 24th, 2023 at Asia Markets Close. Welcome to the Market Depth Podcast, bringing you global market commentary and analysis from the Asia Pacific trading session so that you know what happened overnight. So first, before we get into it, let me just address and explain my physical appearance, as in my jacket. And broadly, just a quick word about this podcast, Market Depth. So first, the jacket. Okay, this is supposed to be... um, we're supposed to look like a pit trading jacket, like the ones uh, that floor traders used to wear when they were a species that had existed. Uh, one, yes, it's hideous. Yes, it's supposed to be hideous. No, I clearly don't care that it's hideous. Uh, and two, yes, I'm clearly aware that this is not an actual trading jacket. One good clue, do you see any pit trading going on around here? I don't. Um, and... Three, so therefore, yes, it's a prop, much like a clown outfit, because I am indeed a clown. Now, why am I wearing this? Two reasons. Number one, because of the frequency and kind of regularity of this show, you know, multiple times per week, and um, with my eyes on, like, global cross-asset markets and filming right at Asia Markets Close, I don't have time nor, like, the patience to think about, like, my wardrobe on a day-to-day basis. Um, and then number two, and more importantly, um, just the, the reason I'm wearing this is just to remind everyone, if not myself, that at the end of the day, this is a markets-focused show. Okay, so yes, I obviously have and will talk about non-direct market-related matters, um, by which I mean things like some policy development or an economic data point, such as Japan CPI, which I'll get into in this episode, but the non-direct market commentary will only be made because there are potential market implications. Now, this might seem obvious when put that way, but if you look at the vast landscape of what's purported as financial market commentary, much of that like strays away from markets themselves. Green and red blinking tickers, right? And the, and onto like, you know, theorizing of things that leaves one thinking and saying like, okay, so what's the market tie-in? What's the trade? Where's the risk, right? So the way that I envision market depth, this podcast, is as follows. So I used to work in institutional finance. I used to work on the sell-side trading floor. And every day I would talk to clients about what's happening in markets. Um, And then at the end of every trading day, we in the Tokyo and the Hong Kong and Sydney offices um, would just get on a call to our London team, our London office, for their AM meeting um, to tell them what happened in our respective regions overnight. And that's basically exactly what I'm doing here, right? So you, the viewer, are basically my colleagues or my clients on the buy side, right? The institutional investors, the hedge funds, the traders, the analysts, portfolio managers, and so on. Um, but the people with capital at risk and in need of info. And not just simply what they can read on Bloomberg or Financial Times or whatever, right? Like differentiated perspectives and views and sometimes actionable ideas. Um so that's kind of my approach, right? And another thing, too, that I've always done throughout my career is like that not only is kind of largely absent everywhere, but the importance of which often goes unnoticed is like sort of analysis and commentary or, or even just observations of what markets moved with what or why markets moved the way they did or are doing um, what they did. Okay, so with that said, let's take a look at Japan CPI from today and its implications on the markets. So, headline CPI came in at 3.3% for February, which is down from sharply from January's 4.3%, 
Um, and that January 4.3%, that was a four-decade high. Okay, so it's come off pretty sharply from that. Core CPI, which is CPI X fresh food, was down uh, was at 3.1% in February. Um, and again, down sharply from previous 4.2% previous, um, which is, again, another four-decade high on core CPI. Now, the broad commentary is that these are readings that are based on measures, including energy and fuel costs, which the government had subsidized electricity bills of like up to 20%. And those effects are now beginning to show in the numbers over the period. So if you look at core core CPI, which is CPI X fresh food and energy, core core CPI is actually still rising at 3.5% versus 3.2% previous. So that electric, you know, that like uh, energy part had a huge, um, you know, influence on on this drop. Electricity bills had dropped for the first time since May of 2021, um, as like a minus five and a half percent versus like 20 percent previous. Cost of food too. I mean, like they talk about like X fresh food, like core CPI X fresh food. Okay, fine, but if you want to include that. Cost of food also increased the most since September of 1980. Um, burger prices are up like 40%. Unacceptable for those like me who rely on burgers for breakfast like they do in Liar's Poker. So if not for that like energy subsidy, headline CPI would be at an estimated 4.4%. Now, that's great and all. And frankly, I don't really care how you slice and dice and decipher the Japan CPI figure because as it relates to BOJ policy in the immediate term, it doesn't relate to it at all. As I've discussed many times, um, and for further explanation of what BOJ is and is not watching and reacting to, uh, please take a look at the, just watch the very first episode of Market Depth. Um, this is a special one-off edition of Market Depth about outgoing governor, Bank of Japan governor Haruhiko Kuroda in his historic decade. Okay, so now let's talk markets. So on the CPI release, we saw a flash move down in JGB futures at the open, but that quickly recovered back to gains on the day and continuing gains over the last several days or weeks. Um, similarly with the yen, which we saw, you know, as we speak right now, dollar yen is now breaking below the 130 level into 129 territory. Um, so in fact, if you actually look at a chart of JGB futures against yen futures, they're basically moving in lockstep. Um, and they, they're doing so right at a particular moment. Um, now, this might seem very odd, given that higher JGBs means lower JGB yields, which means a widening nominal yield spread between the U.S. and Japan, and therefore dollar yen higher, right? Yes, but that's only if U.S. yields kept on going higher or at least remained static, and higher or static they have not been. We have been seeing yen strength or dollar yen weakness in line with the collapse in U.S. yields, um, like nominal yield spreads basically collapsing uh, as a result. Okay, but that's not the only driver for the yen at the moment. So as I mentioned when I was going over CPI, so one of the drivers of the yen price direction right now is actually energy prices because Japan imports basically all of its energy. So while the government might be subsidizing energy costs for Japan, regardless of that, raw import prices of oil have also been dropping, right? Crude is now in like the 60s or whatever. Um, high energy imports from a balance of trade perspective had been yen negative in 2022 but now that's reversing so if you like take a look at the same chart of jgb's uh the yen and throw a chart of crude on top 
and crude prices inverted on the chart. They're basically, you know, again, and all, all three of them are in lockstep. So as far as the yen price action is concerned, yes, like yield spreads obviously matter, but so do energy prices and energy price action, just to keep in mind. Okay, so in the near term, I see further dollar yen downside to break below its recent lows and to get to mid to low 120s um, as long as both U.S. yields continue to fall and energy uh, prices continue to fall, oil prices continue to fall. Um, now, onto the broader yield story. Yields are down for the day yet again. Okay, um, Fed is saying no rate cuts this year and markets are saying hogwash, Fed, rate cuts this year. So two-year U.S. Treasuries are down another 15 basis points to 3.7%. Just a reminder, the two-year was yielding four and a quarter two days ago into March of OMC. And two days before that, to start the week, the two-year was yielding 3.7%, or basically unchanged from current levels with a plus-minus 60 basis point round trip during the week. So if you see my previous episode from Wednesday, March 22nd of this week on hedge funds blowing up as a result of this crazy volatility in rates um, and my other previous videos from last Friday on why rates are um, doing these kind of near record-breaking volatile moves as they are doing currently, um, you'll get a much more detailed background as to what I'm talking about. Um, But to follow up from that video from last Friday, okay, we now actually have flow data from the week to add to the picture. So the latest weekly flow data from the Ministry of Finance for the week ending last Friday, okay, a week in which we saw an absolute collapse in global yields and JGBs in particular. During that week, foreigners bought just over 4 trillion yen worth of JGBs for the largest weekly amount on record. I repeat, last week, foreigners bought the largest weekly amount on record of JGBs. Now, at the same time, Japanese investors in turn bought the second largest f- amount of foreign bonds on record last week. Okay? So foreigners bought the most on record last week. Japanese investors bought the most foreign bonds, second most foreign uh second most on record foreign bonds last week. And so as I explained in these previous episodes, as well as um my discussion with Mike Ippolito on on the margin recently, the JGB market is the world duration anchor in fixed income land. As in, Japanese investors are the largest foreign fixed income allocators in the world, and what happens in the Japan domestic yield picture and environment spills over into the rest of the world. Um, I also explained the complete misreading of BOJ policy by the foreign community, who shorted JGBs thinking BOJ will have to capitulate to either CPI or to just get in line with the rest of the world, neither of which are currently driving BOJ's yield curve control change or no change decisions. So here's how both of those things played out last week, okay, with record JGB buying by foreigners and second most on record foreign buying by Japan. Two Fridays ago, we had a March Bank of Japan policy meeting, which resulted in an unchanged policy, okay, instead of uh, what was expected by many to be a yield curve control upper band increase yet again. And that didn't happen. That resulted in short covering by the foreign community who completely misread BOJ's yield curve control policy and was positioned short. Um, That BOJ meeting coincided with Silicon Valley Bank at the same exact time. 
But as a result of that, it was papered over. The Bank of Japan meeting was totally papered over by the media. And thus, the narrative to explain the sudden rush for government bonds was tied to things like risk off flight to safety, generally speaking, right? Um, then last Monday, we have March JGB futures expiry. Okay, quarterly expiry on March JGB futures contracts. And a scramble for cheapest to deliver JGBs, which are neither cheap nor available to, to deliver. Because the Bank of Japan is explicitly targeting those specific cheapest to deliver, deliver JGBs, uh, tenure JGBs, and they've basically owned the entire supply of those particular, particular issuances as it is, such that some of those tenure JGB issues yielded in negative territory. So, foreigners crushed JGB yields in order to exit short positions. Um, and with JGB yields now back below their previous yield curve control levels of 25 basis points, you know, effectively got sliced in half, yields got sliced in half or more in just a few days. Now, Japanese investors who had been selling a record amount of foreign bonds in 2022, namely U.S. Treasuries, as well as EU and Aussie rates, but now they're finding themselves very underweight bonds and suddenly with far less attractive domestic bond yields. And so they redeploy capital overseas into treasuries and boons and so on and so forth to rebuild their portfolios. Now, note that this is also happening in the month of March, which is Japan fiscal year end and with seasonal rebalancing taking place. And so on top of that, you also have the yen kind of stabilizing, if not strengthening, but, you know, on a gradual pace um, and not on like a dollar yen momentum runaway and like FX hedging costs absurdly high and all that. That also helps the Japan capital redeployment deployment overseas. Um, and mind you also, there are plenty of those who just go outright unhedged effects um, into foreign fixed income out of Japan. So turns out that March BOJ coinciding with Silicon Valley bank developments was a perfect real-time example of why this very show and the concept behind this is, exists, right? The perspective from this region, from Asia, uh, that may be very well, you know, completely papered over and covered um, by other sort of media, single-focused single, single focused media events that are happening. Silicon Valley Bank, flight to safety, yes, that was some of the yield collapse. Yes, scramble for collateral in shortage was some of it as well. And yes, the other factor that I've been highlighting, a completely dysfunctional and illiquid and volatile sovereign bond market that's exhibiting extremely sharp moves both up and down um, and the behavior and the destruction that that causes in its wake to be another very overlooked part of it. Okay. Okay. So thank you for watching yet another episode of market depth. Um, and I hope that I was able to clear up sort of some of what, you know, what, what my intention is or what the kind of the show's concept is. Um, make sure that you have your notifications turned on if you're watching this on YouTube or uh, if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast app, whatever it may be, because these episodes will be very time sensitive um, relating to that particular day. And also follow me on Twitter at across the spread, because I first of all, give like sort of commentary on markets as they happen. And if I don't happen to be recording a video, you know, I could do a thread or whatever I've done many before. Um, and also because that's probably the best way where you can give me some feedback as to what it is that you'd like to see or not see. Um, I'm going to keep wearing this jacket if you don't want to see it too bad. Um, but content-wise, just general feedback, that's where it can kind of all aggregate. Just follow me at Across the Spread. Um, and thanks a lot again, and we will see you next week. Thanks.